Hello, and welcome to the POI podcast. This week we shall be discussing the UK's gun laws and whether gun ownership is a right or an archaic practice. In his recent article, Conservative writer Oliver Pike outlines how self-defence in the UK is heavily stemmed by our laws, with the use of even pepper spray being illegal for civilian use. Oliver is arguing that overall a good way to reduce crime in the UK is for more gun, uh, lax gun laws that would enable people to use them for self-defence. And in turn, in a theoretical sense, we could defend ourselves against a tyrannical state. Oliver believes that gun ownership must be recognised as an important aspect of restoring liberty and order to the UK. Alongside Oliver today, we have Emma Hall, who wrote the Liberal response to the article, and Abby Clargo for Labour. So my first question goes to you, Oliver. Why is gun ownership an important part of protecting liberty within the UK? Um, I think it used to be, uh, historically in the UK, an important part of um, maintaining liberty and order. And ever since it's gone, I think we've seen violent crime on the increase and people feel a real sense of defenselessness. And a lot of British people self-righteously claim that the fact that there's a Second Amendment in America is ridiculous. Yet um, our 1689 Bill of Rights granted us a similar right to bear arms and in many ways influenced the Americans. And this was respected and widely taken advantage of. Uh, But now in the UK, you can not own guns for self-defense or any constitutional purpose and can only do do so for a very specific list of weapons. Um, So we are, as a population, essentially disarmed. And I see guns as actually being a great, uh, being of great utility to civilians. Um, they can be used to deter criminals. They can resist uh, criminal violence, damage, or loss to life or property. And as you said, a uh, uh, sort of a collective check and balance against the concept of tyrannical state uh, oppression. Okay, um, Emma, in your response, you felt uh, strongly in a opposite direction would you care to elaborate on your own views about gun ownership within the UK? So one of the things that um, I found quite interesting in writing the response to Oliver's article is um, it's the kind of thing that I feel always comes out with um, debates with gun ownership or kind of um, returning rights to certain people is the thing of yes I understand why it might work in some contexts for example like if people were more a able to own guns but then you've also got the issue of um, we wrote this article when there were a lot of protests going on it's the kind of thing of everyone you disagree with is also allowed a gun like under your um kind of framing that you've offered and it's very much the thing of like i i don't believe that everyone being able to do such harm is a mark of a civilized society and i know there are huge amounts of problems with things like knife crime and other kind of forms of violence in the UK. But I don't think guns will solve that. I think it's more likely to exacerbate the issue. Um, for example, what if, I can't remember the statistics um, given in the article, but things like there were X many gun deaths in the UK last year. Having more of those and having more of those is not a positive and I feel like there is no way of avoiding that if we were to legalize guns. Well I refute the fact that legal gun ownership uh, results in very much harm. Um, I mean the vast majority of crimes and deaths that come from guns come from illegally owned firearms so legal uh, illegally owned firearms so legal gun ownership isn't really the problem and you mentioned the the riots in Bristol Uh, when we had the summer riots over in in America um, you know people were coming out and using their guns to defend their properties and to to, to deter rioters from destroying their their businesses. And uh, another two groups of people who have guns, uh, other than everyone in America, is the state and criminals. So if you take guns away from the 
law-abiding citizens, you give monopoly to the state and to the criminals. I mean, here's, I'll just come in quickly. Here's kind of my main issue with it. In an ideal society, we'd be be able to trust everyone with a gun and to be able to trust everyone to only use it where necessary, where they're in complete danger and they have no other option but to use a gun. But I think just because of human nature, you simply can't trust people to do this. So I don't think it's a logical statement to say, you know, bringing in more guns and allowing people to own guns is going to reduce reduce crime or to help people feel safe because I think it would go in the complete opposite direction and I know we're going to differ on that massively um and again you know how can we decide who sets this criteria who sets the framework for who's allowed to use a gun and what counts as necessary kind of a necessary time to use the gun it's just there's so many gray areas that I think gun legislation being kind of becoming more lenient in any way it's just not going to help um I know in your article you call it, um, you say that people who are against um, more relaxed gun legislation are kind of stuck with this archaic idea. Um, And I, as one of those people, will probably say it might be an archaic idea. But as George Stroud, my Labour colleague, says, I don't think just because a law existed once means that it should exist again in the future, nor would it work again in the future. I think we've moved so far away from this. And this is probably why as Brits, we often look to America and yes, we are quick to condemn and you're definitely right in saying that. But I think it's because we have kind of passed the feeling of needing guns in the UK because although there's many existing problems with crime and we can't overlook that, we definitely don't fear gun violence as much because not as many people have guns. And I would argue that that's a good thing. I know you're probably going to disagree, but I think that's my kind of general standpoint. Yeah. On I it think all. it all comes down to utility rather than trust, because you can regulate guns in many European countries have done successfully from Austria, Norway, Switzerland, Czech Republic and Estonia. They all do. It and they, they, they don't have the suicides or the mass shootings or the illegal gun proliferation that you see in America. Um, so I don't think it's really an issue of um, trust more whether you think there's a utility to guns, because look at cars, they cause a great deal of death every year and are regularly misused, yet no one's calling for a ban, uh, only better regulation. And the reason is that they're of great use. And I think that guns are of a great use to defend life and property and to resist tyranny. But can we really truly monitor them? Because again, who sets, you know, the, who sets the criterion on which we're basing this off? And in your article, you use the example of the Dunblane shooting. Um, and then you say that the shooter shouldn't have owned a gun anyway, given the, regulation, uh, the regulations of gun ownership. And they were well known to the authorities already. So clearly in 1997, gun reg- regulation wasn't as good. So how if we if we're allowing more people to carry guns, how are we then going to regulate them more? I just I don't really see the correlation. And I think this points more to a huge problem with the system. Um, and if the regulations aren't up to scratch, then how can we logically allow increased gun ownership? I just think it would be disastrous, especially with the the issues with the regulations already. So we have one of the sort of tightest restrictions on guns in the world, and yet we still have 33 gun murders a year, all committed with illegal guns, and 9,700 um, crimes committed with guns. So you can never get guns out of the hands of criminals, and if, if somebody really wants to have a gun and do some harm, they can do so. And with Dunblane, I mean, they were very well known to authorities, and it was a, a humongous... Uh, administrative error which really should have been a massive scandal but it was completely ignored really and instead we just disarmed the population uh, even though we'd really been disarmed in 1968 and 1920 uh, before that 
It was sort of a, a progressive thing. But how then? I just, I guess, it's more of a question, really. How would increasing gun ownership mean that we can stop guns getting in the wrong people's hands, or you just trusting people, trusting everyone with a gun, and trusting only the people who are innocent civilians who might need to use it are the ones who will use it? How can you? I just don't really understand it. In terms of how do you keep it out of the hands of criminals? Yeah. Um, well, you clamp down on international trafficking, which, by the way, the government is, is not our government, but governments around the world are, are humongously involved in arms trading. And even Ian Overton writes about this in, in his book. In terms of all the guns going to cartels and uh, various resistance groups, it all comes from, from governments. Uh, so I would get government out of those sort of illicit or sort of dodgy sort of arms transactions. Um but then on okay, so if scale, we... I mean, we have a fantastic system of uh, ensuring that only people who are of sound mind and, and are law-abiding get guns. Okay, but if we do this and it's a success, why do we need relaxed gun, reg- leg- uh, gun legislation? Why is there a need for it if criminals don't have guns, which in an ideal world no- nobody would, right? Then why, would, why do we need civilians to have guns? Because you say in your article on numerous occasions that it's for self-defence reasons and it's for protection. But if criminals don't have guns, if we can stop that without giving guns to the general public, wouldn't that be a more... But, but criminals have knives and bats and all sorts of, of, of things, and they can also get a hold of guns, and they're very good at it. And you know, These European gangs that travel around, they, they do have great access to guns, uh, the huge trafficking gangs. So these people can get guns into, into criminal areas very, very quickly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's more an issue of... of you can never get the guns out of the hands of the criminals, so you want law-abiding citizens who are not statistically going to cause a, a problem to other people. Um, you don't want to take the guns out of their hands because they can protect themselves. And again, even if they have something like a knife or a bat, a gun is still the best way to defend yourself in that situation. I mean, I don't really want to go head-to-head with a, or knife-to-knife with a burglar, you know? I Yeah, I completely agree that criminals, if they want to inflict violence, they're going to do it. And they're going to find a means to do it, the means to do it in whatever situation, whether the laws are stricter, whether they're more lenient. They're definitely going to get their hands on these guns. Um, but again, I would say it's, we should be focusing on targeting the criminals and targeting these big crime, like organized crime groups that can get their hands on them because we know that they exist. So why aren't we putting more kind of more time into these criminals and preventing guns there rather than arguing the case for guns for the general population? And you bring up knife crime, and I recently did the podcast episode on knife crime. Um, and we talked a little bit about self-defense. And I compared it to a vicious circle almost, because the more crime you have, the more a community is going to feel the need to carry a weapon, such as a knife or a gun. And then in turn, crime is more likely to take place as a result of this. Um, so for me, I think self-defense is an issue that is a result of violence and fear, which needs to be solved at its core not by simply encouraging people to carry guns because again we then re-enter this vicious cycle that just keeps going and crime never decreases people are always fearful of violence and of weapons and i just think that's that's no way to live no way to live if you ask but even in america the vast majority of of legal gun owners are not a problem and don't commit crimes with their guns They're, they're of no risk or threat to anybody other than those who would seek to do harm to them how would you propose to regulate it though because We've seen, like, in the last few days, there's been an incident of um, a police officer, I believe in America, shooting someone when they believed they were using their taser. So if people 
who are trained already like that are able are so susceptible to make a mistake that they will accidentally shoot someone how can you trust your entire population and and whatever criteria they meet how are you trusting them to always know the right situation where gun use is appropriate and when it is not and whether and if there's a mistake or some kind or something goes wrong people are going to die in a way that they are more likely to with a gun when someone's got a gun in their hand compared to any other means of like defense well i don't think that the right even needs to be exercised by by everybody i don't think many or in fact most people in the uk have any interest in owning a gun however the fact that they could be entitled to do so uh, for all the reasons that i've mentioned before uh, still grants a person a great deal of liberty or freedom inherent liberty or freedom and if it became necessary to own one in light of increasingly tyrannical governance emerging or widespread crime and disorder then this person could um act on uh, you know they could act on this constitutional right. When you refer to kind of state tyranny in relation to so what so what circumstances of state tyranny would yeah. you deem it acceptable to use a gun? Like I'd what say when the government starts essentially dragging people away and killing them, I think at that point. So again, and that's the occupation of Germany, the resistance there. I mean, that's an example uh, when the Americans kicked out the Brits. I mean, there's there's been tons of armed resistances to all sorts of things, whether it be a coup or a um, you know, a 1984-style sort of authoritarian nightmare, anything. And every dictator, uh, most dictators in the past, have got rid of the guns because it's a very sensible thing for dictators to do because uh, if the population's unhappy with them, they can't do anything. I think that gun legislation in the UK is a sign of authoritarianism, then. Um, I think it's a sign that we have got rid of... of we have, a, we have a, a general disrespect for ancient principles of liberty I and mean, we've done it with jury trial they're no longer unanimous and you know we've just thrown them to the side during covid uh, the right to protest has been uh, infringed during coronavirus as well so we don't really hold these basic principles basic things that voters should expect politicians to protect and um, they're just not respected anymore in british politics so would you argue that the intention of this i think you use the word draconian in the article draconian legislation is to limit liberty in the UK because I mean for me and again we have different opinion different opinions so it's probably the reason that we disagree on this but I would say that the intent of such legislation is to prevent it violence and not to provide this license to get killed as you suggest. Um, well I think legislation has various intentions but the byproduct of the legislation is that we are now a disarmed population and I think um, you know that's not a great situation to be in if anything uh, extreme were to happen. I'd just like to interject and on the terms whilst we're still on self-defence, um, an interesting question is how do you define what is uh, an appropriate use of force in terms of self-defence? Because you said, you know, you'd rather have a, if someone came out of a knife or a cricket bat, you'd rather have the gun. But how do you determine what's appropriate defence? And going more specifically, the most standard round in the UK is a 2-2. Would you allow people to use larger rounds in self-defense, uh, um, Oliver? There's, there was a sort of pro-gun sort of blogger on YouTube who made the case for getting rid of caliber restrictions entirely because essentially once you get past the point, you've, you've, done, the, you've done the damage and uh, the higher you get, it's essentially irrelevant. But I mean, I, I don't really see that as that necessary. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of what was the first part of your question? 
appropriate force because you said if someone was coming at you with a knife and you had a gun you, you'd rather have the gun like how do you define appropriate force in terms of defending yourself with a yeah, firearm so i guess it's uh, there's standard ground sort of laws in america they're sort of a, a good basic guide but again it's proportionate force in the uk and uh, if you take guns out of it um and someone if you punch someone a few too many times or something or or use a certain weapon and you don't need to or something in the situation then you can get yourself in trouble um and i think when that's analyzed in the courts with hindsight i think that potentially puts a lot of people in trouble for not doing anything malicious i think when you're in the heat of the moment getting attacked uh, you might overreact or or react with disproportionate force because you don't really know what's going on it's been imposed upon you i think this is the big issue though right we don't I mean, we don't want to give criminals an advantage by any means and we don't want to allow them to carry these weapons and to be the only people carrying weapons. And I'm sure we agree on that. But the issue, again, is this framework that what criteria are we basing this on? How do we decide when someone's allowed a gun? How is this going to be taken in court? Um, and we see, if we're using America as an example, and I think with gun reform, that becomes one of the biggest examples in the world. Um, and Emma, you mentioned um, Dante Wright was the name of the 20-year-old who was shot by a police officer on Sunday um, um, as, as opposed to using his taser, he pulled out his gun. And he would say whether it was a taser or a gun, it's self-defence. But, you know, how do we know that it was self-defence? Was Dante Wright a criminal? I would argue no, and I think many people would agree. Um, so it's just an abuse of power, I, I would argue, that these officers have the means to use their weapons on ordinary people who are not really causing any harm. Um, and where does self-defense, where do you draw the line? Because, you know, in court, there's going to be a big debate now whether he was simply defending himself and it was an honest mistake or whether it was more than that. And he just, he saw red and saw a black man in his car. And I don't know, he just made the wrong decision based on racism, I would argue. I would argue, but he would probably argue it was self-defense. So how do we measure this? Because there's so many examples like this in the UK and America, all across the globe. So where do we draw the line? How do we legislate this? I, I don't think we can. Do you have any thoughts on uh, the self-defense argument, Emma? Um, I think Abby's just kind of articulated what I was also thinking very well, the whole thing of, of again, like drawing the whole drawing the line and um and what what constitutes like you said appropriate use of force because to me a gun a gun in the hands of pretty much anyone is an excessive use of force that i personally would not endorse in this way i think that's okay um well, Oliver, going back to your point earlier, you said that you gave all the examples of the uh, European nations that have stricter, well, they've got more lax gun laws, but it's uh, arguably a stricter process to get the guns. But on a more basic level, do you feel the UK could be trusted? Do you think the population of the UK is as sensible as, say, Switzerland, who is, a, I believe it's national service? Yeah, there's trained to use a gun. culture in Switzerland, which I think a lot of pro-gun people use Switzerland as a sort of silver bullet, but it isn't the silver bullet that they want it to be because they have a, a really ingrained culture where they're brought up from a young age to respect guns and they have a, a you know better way of dealing with mental health. Um, so, yeah, there's a few issues that I think Britain would have to sort out before 
seriously considering this. And I think one of them is mental health. I think our mental health services are overly reliant on prescription pills at an early stage of the treatment. And I think that that would carry incredible risks uh, if guns were put into the mix. Um, again, culture, I don't think, as I said before, I don't think many people would actually take this right on. I don't think people feel the need for it or anything like that in certain areas. Um, so again, I don't think it'd be a huge problem. And again, we have pretty good regulation here as well. So we could um, essentially mirror some of the results that they've seen across other countries in Europe. It's, it's interesting you mentioned mental health because in um, Emma's response, she feared that greater gun ownership or, well, yeah, greater gun ownership would uh, lead to increased suicides. Would you care to elaborate on your point from your response, um, Emma? Yes. Yeah, so it was one of the things that I was kind of most surprised by when reading Oliver's article, where it's something about something along the lines of, oh, it's fine. It's fine to introduce guns because 60 odd percent of gun deaths in the UK are suicides. And I didn't think that was an kind of an okay way of putting it of just because the like the death caused by the gun wasn't murder doesn't make it any more acceptable in a in a civilized society like it like whether if someone dies at the hands of of a of someone with a gun whether it is themselves or someone else that is a tragedy and it's something that should not happen and it would and you would hope that in that in a society you would be someone before they get to that point is able to access support and go i need help rather than having such an easy means of killing themselves it's just something that i like there are there's so many ways of killing yourself and guns are a very easy one so personally i it's just another um it's just another factor in why we shouldn't have easy access to guns because People are going to die, whether it's themselves or other people. I just don't think it's supportable. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, there's many countries who have avoided much of the problems around gun suicide. Um, but the statistic I cited was 62% of gun deaths uh, were from suicide in the US. And the reason I brought it up is because the death number, the gun death number in the US is often misrepresented for three reasons. And one of them is that 62% of them are suicides rather than indiscriminate violence. So the idea is that uh, legal gun owners are painted as a threat to other people um, when really the issue is is with mental health and with illegal gun ownership. Um, and, and essentially in the UK, we have regimes to prevent people who are depressed and might kill themselves from getting access to a gun. Um, the other aspects that are missed are that guns actually do save people in certain numbers. A lot of people protect their stores, their families, their homes, whatever it may be, or even stop active shooters. And um, again, as I mentioned earlier, the majority of gun deaths come from, um, or the majority of gun murders are from illegal, illegally owned firearms. So I think it's, it just paints a clearer picture about what's actually, what harms are actually being caused by the gun. It's not indiscriminate violence and a sort of Wild West society being created. Although gun suicides are, of course, concerning. I think sticking yeah, I, with... I feel like you are still, that point still kind of goes in that circle of, if a, if anyone dies, it like how, like however misrepresented the statistics of gun deaths in um, the USA are, I don't think it's a misrepresentation to include the sixty two percent that are suicides because some even if someone's not a threat to 
even if someone's not a threat to other people, you can't like being a threat to yourself is also as bad. Like for example, if you were to be sectioned under the Mental Health Act, you would be sectioned for being a danger to other people or a danger to yourself. So I yeah, just I, mean, don't, I don't think I don't see who are in that situation should should be owning a gun or have a gun around them. Um, but I don't think you should punish people who are not suffering from mental uh, mental health problems who want to own a gun for for a variety of reasons. So I think we have a regime which which checks on people. And in the UK, we do actually have police officers who come round and check the gun owners who we, who do exist, who are usually farmers or, or sportsmen or game shooters, and they do check that the guns are stored and that they, that their mental health is in uh, at least visible good order. But sticking with, do they not have to be checked health. by any kind of mental health professional? Like, if you were to bring in a system of regular gun ownership, would you? What requirements would you have? Would you say they must like? undergo a psychological assessment with like a with a psychiatrist or what because a police officer's assessment of someone's visible mental health could be vastly vastly different from like that that person's day-to-day reality and um, i think there, there there's a risk that it becomes overly intrusive into people's lives and that any little transgression suddenly becomes um sort of a barrier to owning a firearm i think it needs to be uh, it needs to be at the time you're reviewing the person, you've got to see um, what the situation is. And the more people involved, whether it's a psychiatrist or, or police or whatever, the more people involved there, uh, the more safe it is, I think. If I can just jump in really I've quickly. I've got a I think kind of we're... slightly changing tack question for you. So one of your examples mentioned was the Dunblane massacre in 1996, I believe. So with your attitude to guns and how you would and how you would like to um, kind of maintain the um, ownership of guns what would your response have been in in 1996 1997 when um, the uk government banned pistols because it's a whole thing of um i can remember reading an example i think someone just wrote it online same thing about um america's gun laws won't change because that when they decided that children getting gunned down in their classrooms was okay and they weren't going to do anything after, like, I think with Sandy Hook was the example, then they were never going to change. But what, what do you think would have been the, would have been the alternative response to the Dunblane massacre where all those children were killed? Yeah, I mean, ideally, I, mean, I, I think the Americans with their sort of codified and entrenched constitution have been able to preserve a lot of their rights, especially things like free speech and privacy and other such things like that, which we've completely lost. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of gun rights in in America, it's. I guess you could you could just say that um, within the UK, our regime is, is just better equipped to deal with it than America's is. But- is that saying that you wouldn't have changed any of the rules on gun ownership? No, in the, the errors that, that were there um, were a part of a system that was actually very well equipped at preventing uh, gun violence and gun deaths and mass shootings. And I think that the way you fix that is not by uh, getting rid of, of guns, but by fixing the problems that, that arose in terms of mental health, in terms of administration and bureaucracy. They basically closed the loopholes rather than banning pistols, as the UK government did at the yeah. time. Okay. Well, I just 
sort of on a slightly different point because spoken a lot about self-defense and then we spoke about mental health and suicide is there a place for firearm ownership uh, on, in a recreational sense in a civilized society so do you think we should continue the system we have now in the uk essentially? Uh, yeah of course Oliver? I mean, guns can be used for a variety of purposes um and i mean one of the suggestions that i made in the article is that we add self-defense to the permitted reasons for owning a gun. But ideally, I would just get rid of the system of justification and allow people to access guns as a right, so long as they are of sound mind and meet all the different requirements. But I don't think, why do you want to own the gun? Um, it should be part of an exhaustive list that you have to prescribe to. I think you should tell people and be asked wh why you're going to have it, but I don't think it should be part of a prescribed and exhaustive list. Emma, what are your thoughts? I disagree i think if you want a gun you should have to justify why you have it because it i know like obviously if someone wants it for criminal purposes is and they've obviously got a clean enough record to get that far then they they can lie but i feel like it would at least some kind of way of monitoring it and i think if you were going to bring back guns you you would want it to be heavily regulated personally i would want to heavily regulated so yeah i i think you if you want a gun you should have to justify it because if under your system self-defense or like defense of your own property and things if that's an adequate if that's an adequate reason to own a gun then people should be able to own up to that and if they can't it feels kind of questionable as to why they have it. I completely agree with Emma. I think if, you know, I don't think it will ever happen. I don't think gun reform is going to become more lenient in the UK. But if it did, I think we need these justifications. But again, then there's so many problems with what the justifications are, what the criteria is, how we kind of frame this criteria. Um, in terms of like recreation, I don't agree with kind of using guns in sports or for shooting or whatever, but um, that's my own opinion. And I think where it's safe, um, in these inside these recreational activities if it's not causing harm if it's not altering the mindset of people then you know maybe it's not that big of an issue I personally don't agree with it but I would much rather it stay within recreational activities and you need these justifications for owning a gun and for using a gun rather than just allowing everyone on the street to own a gun and to walk around with one well on that point, I think it's been a very interesting discussion highlighting the fact that really it comes down to specifics on how one does define self-defence and whether guns should ever leave the realm of recreation within the UK and whether people should be allowed to carry them as a right or if it's a privilege, I guess, to an extent. But I would like to thank our three guests for today. We've had Oliver Pike for the Conservatives. We've had Emma Hall for the Liberals and Abby Clargo for Labour. This has been the POI podcast.